as we I kind of get situated here, I just want to mention a couple things. Um, I, I wanted to make it a little bit more clear about where we are meeting, if you guys want to come and picnic and hike with us after service. So the picnic area at Deep Creek, that is where we're going to kind of gather. So um, I'm really weird. I don't like things on my left, so I'm going to move it on my right. There we go. It just doesn't feel right. It feels off balance. Um, so if you pull into Deep Creek, uh, you kind of pass the first bridge. Right? And the picnic area is there on the right. So um, kind of circle in that area. You'll see some of us. You know, we'll be like the weirdos gathered. So just find the, those people and uh, come and have lunch. And then hike if you'd like. Um, and so, you know, summer is coming to an end. Um, for those of you who have kids going back to school, you feel that and you're excited. Um, this marks... The first time for me in 14 years that I will not have a child with me. Let's just take a moment. Let's just let's take a moment. So I actually, I was telling somebody at that this last week, and uh, they, she, they said to me, well, so what are you going to do? Like, are you, are you going to go back to work? Now, <laughs> all I wanted to do is, was say kindly, like, what do you think I've been doing for 14 years? Like, I, I'm like, I work, I still work. I mean, basically summer is like washing cups and feeding children. That is the only thing I do is that that's it. You just do it again the next day. Um, but anyway, before we kind of jump into today's topic, which you heard from Tim is a really easy one. So I'm really excited about tackling this one with you. But I, I, those of you, um, either your parents or your, your parenting adult kids, or maybe for if, you, if you're not in that zone, you are the child of a parent, because I think that all fits all of us. I've been listening to this really great parenting series. It's a podcast series. It's, it's called For the Love Podcast, but it's, uh, it's a five-week parenting focus. So the one that they had that was just this past week was called Parenting Through All the Stages, When to Hold On and When to Let Go. And it's an interview done with Dr. Jim Burns. It's a fantastic um, listen, it's about 50 minutes. Um, jot it down, put it on when you're driving around in the car. If you are in that place, uh, like I have like the range of like, you know, of the fear of like my oldest, like wanting to date. And then I have like my four-year-old still telling me about her poop. So, I mean, I have this whole, you know what I mean? Like I've got the whole thing, but so, so there's a lot of different stages of parenting. And this one specifically talks about when you're transitioning and you're starting to parent adult children, um, or if you find yourself as an adult yourself and you're trying to kind of still navigate the relationship you have with your parents. So it's a really good listen. It's about 50 minutes. I highly recommend it. If you didn't catch it, grab me afterwards and I can um, show you how to find that. So so speaking of parenting, um, this past week I was in the kitchen cleaning up after feeding, you know, that's what I was doing. So I was feeding the kids and I was cleaning up the kitchen and Cannon was helping me. And I look over and he's got both cabinets open and he's just like staring in the cabinet. And so I'm like, sometimes what Cannon does is he does something on purpose because he's waiting for me to ask him like, what are you doing? So I look over and I'm like, are you okay, Cannon? (laughs) Like, is everything good with you? And he looks back at me and he says, mom, do you ever think that you're going to take on baking? <laughs> and I was like, and then he, he goes on, he's like, you know, like cupcakes and cakes, like really good stuff, you know, not like, and this is, 
This is golden. Not like the break apart cookies that you buy in the foods, the cold food section, but like, like baking, you know, like actual baking. (sighs) So like all I need to do is be good at one more thing. So I said, you know, Canon, it's not really my thing. I've never really been great at baking. Um, And that's why we have good friends like Mindy Warner, true story, you know, that if you've never had a cookie or a cupcake by her, I mean, what? Like, where are, you, where are you going with this conversation? So he kind of laughed and we laughed about it together. And he's like, I just don't know in all 13 years that you've ever baked anything. <laughs> and so, you know, we're having this laugh back and forth. And one of the things that I appreciate so much about Canon is that he's probably one of the most honest people that I have ever met. And I live with five very honest people who like to tell me all the time about what they think about me. But he's probably the most brutal of all of the, like, the levels of honesty. So he will really often just tell me exactly what he thinks about me, about my lack of baking skills, about how I need to take up baking. Um, and that's hard. Like, if, if you are ever, if you've ever been in the zone of, like, a recovering people, like, pleasing person, which is me, my therapist likes to use fancier words like codependent and such, but whatever. Um, like, so it's hard for me sometimes because then what my tendency is, is to think, oh my gosh, I need to start baking. You know, instead we kind of have to get to the place where we can laugh at certain things and recognize our skill set. But one thing about Canon is that in addition to his honesty, he's probably one of the most thought-provoking like human children I've ever met. And I'm not saying that because I own him, but like he really is a very deep thinker. So a few years ago, we were driving down the road, um, down this road. And actually just a heads up, we have an agreement. If I tell a story about one of my kids and I don't tell them ahead of time, I owe them $5. He already knows this has all been cleared. So we're good. Um, so we're driving down this road it was just the two of us in the car, which is very rare because we have very loud girls in my family. So it was just the two of us and he's in the front seat and he's looking out the window and I could tell he was really thinking about something. And so I said, Cannon, are you okay? Like you seem really quiet. Is everything okay? And he says to me, you know, I've been thinking lately about what I see with God. And I was like, okay. And he says, you know, a lot of my friends at school don't believe in God. They just don't think God is real. And I've been feeling selfish about that. And I said, well, why? Like, what do you mean you feel selfish about that? And so he kind of got teary-eyed and he was looking outside and he said, because I can't help but look out and see everything out there and not think that God just put it all there for me. And it's almost like they don't see like I see. And I was like, you know, and so as a mom, you kind of like live for these moments because really you're honestly, you're breaking up fights or you're like listening to 15 minute conversations about a quarter. So like, this was like one of those moments I'm like, wow, he's listening and he's actually paying attention. And so we have this dialogue we continue to drive down the road and, and he says, you know, do you think that's selfish of me? That I see all of this for me? That I think God put it all here for me? And I said, no. In fact, Canon, I feel like what you're saying is that they just may not happen to see the world like you do. But in fact, all of this is here for you. All of this is here for us. For us to soak in and to take in and to observe and to fall in love with. Every last bit of creation is here so that God can be revealed to us all the time.
It's just a matter of how we see. And so sometimes I think back to this reminder from Canon. This was a few years ago. And every now and then it comes back to my mind because I remember him pointing that out to me. And it's like there's these moments in life that chaos and busyness and stress and anxiety and everything kind of takes over. And you forget to see that God has placed all of this here for each one of us. Moments to soak in with people, cherishing each other, beauty for us to discover, explore. And at the same time, there's moments of pain and hardship and endurance that are built in to stretch us and to refine us. The spirit of life, which Tim mentioned in the giving moment, the spirit of life is moving always and maybe the easiest and yet the hardest thing for each one of us to do is to look up and see. Our time in history here on this earth is just but a brief moment. And in the eyes of God, it, it doesn't even seem like a second has passed when he sees the time that we've been here on this earth. And we can't know our tomorrows, but yet we have a very close front seat to today. In Psalm 90, Tim referred to this as well, in the giving, you know, there's this really deep language and all of these just rich words about where we dwell and what's to come. Psalm 90, verse 1 through 6, the psalmist writes, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, and by the evening it is dry and withered. Verse 14 and 15. Satisfy us then in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen trouble. And in verse 17. May the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The psalmist begins by saying that the Lord has been our dwelling place throughout all generations. So we, in fact, are most at home when we're in the presence of God, when we're in communion with him, when we look up and we see him and we take notice that the swirling presence of his spirit is always with us, surrounding us and guiding us. It is as if you've taken your most complete breath and you feel that sense of relief. You know, like when you kind of do the one where you raise your shoulders way up and then you exhale. It is that type of feeling when we are most at home with God because we release it all and we sense that overwhelming, indescribable peace of home with him. Whole and healed and complete. And there's not a better feeling of that than anything in the world. And what we are able to experience while here on earth are but just brief moments of what that actually feels like. And as Braden alluded to this and Tim alluded to this, like it is when we move past our physical bodies that we actually will feel the most complete 
and the most at home. But what do we do then while we're here and we're searching for this completeness in our earthly bodies, knowing full well that our time on earth is but this moment in in the big picture? Can we actually find what we're searching for if our completeness and our healing is not on this earth? Sometimes I wonder if that is when we transition from life here as we know it into the full presence of God, that our bodies and our souls and spirits will never be more complete. On this side of redemption, can we ever be fully whole? In James chapter 4, this is another reference in showing us that our days here are really a lot smaller than what we think. This is uh, verses 13 through 15. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that, spend a year here, carry on business and make money. Why, you, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. And instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So our time in history is very brief and just but a moment. And so what are we doing to live and to take advantage of seeing all that God has laid before us? You know, sometimes I feel like the topic of death and talking about the afterlife, it's, it's almost in my, you know, all things like filter parenting for me because of the season I'm in. But I almost imagine like death is like how we teach our toddlers to go in public restrooms. Like when you go into a public restroom with Roby, what you are basically doing is just like get in, get out, don't touch anything. Like let's move on as quickly as possible. Right? Like it is, it's like, it's, I'm anxious and it's chaotic. And I just feel like all the germs in the whole universe are like right there. And she just wants to crawl on the floor. She wants to like touch around the whole, like, you know, explore the whole toilet seat. And it is, it's disgusting, you know, but sometimes I feel like when we in a humorous way, like when we think of the topic of death and what's beyond here, we kind of just want to like get in, get out, move on as quickly as possible. Like a toddler in a bathroom. Like we don't really want to sit in that, think about it. We don't really want our mind to be considering what life might be or what that might look like for us. It be, the topic of death is not something we actually sit around the dinner table and talk about or is a, a, a known topic of conversation among friends. Maybe there is personal pain that are tied to specific, specific memories of loss and of grief. And the aftermath of loss is paralyzing. And many of you know that very, very well. And it's almost like life can be frozen in that instance. Because for those of us that are left and trying to pick up the pieces of what we've lost, it can be very, very heartbreaking. So how then do we rise above that energy of fear How then do we consider that we are most fully home when we pass through this time? That our life that we have is but just a brief moment. Sometimes I think of the fear and the anxiety that can be surrounded by the topic of death. And it it can hold us and it can kind of cripple us from really living and seeing what we have in front of us in this time. A question that I might ask you today to consider is do you have a bigger view of life or of death? 
And it's almost like that the glass, you know, half empty or half full. Because do we miss opportunities here when we might be worrying about what's to come or what's there? So growing up in church, I grew up, um, like many of you maybe did, but I was in church from the time I was little, you know, just three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all the time. And I remember having a legitimate fear, like that if our family was to get in the car after church and we were going to get in a car accident, that if like, I wasn't right with God, like I was going to go to hell. Did it, is this, did anybody else feel this? Yeah. So it was a, it was a very real thing. So summer camp, anytime I went to like a Bible, you know, like a revival where I, I feel like I pretty much got saved like all the weeks of every single week of my whole entire childhood. Like I just got resaved and I would, you know, ask God to forgive me. And because I just wanted to be ready and I just wanted to be right. And I feel like that type of living was a skewed way for me to miss out on focusing on what was maybe right in front of me during that season of life. So perhaps not seeing the people that God placed in front of me because it was the fear of what's to come, you know, based on the decisions that I had made or based on, you know, that lie I told to my mom and, you know, I was totally going to go to hell if, if anybody ever found out. And so there was really this imbalance of living for God and worrying about death. And so the conflict there and then moving into adult life and now raising my own kids is Number one, I don't want them to, to not see, like what Canon was saying, that everything that we have has been given to us to use and to see and to notice and to embrace. And I also don't want to, to, to not discuss what's to come and what's beyond what we have here. Brian McLaren and the, the chapter this week, um, if you have been wondering what we're talking about, this is the book. If, in, if case you've missed that, we're walking through. This book is called We Make the Road by Walking. Um, there's a chapter for every week of the year. And so that's what we've been walking through. Um, if you do not have a copy of it, it's probably a good idea because we're going to be going through this all the way. It will take us all the way back to Easter. So every week we're doing a chapter. So grab a copy. Um, it would probably be good for you to have. So you know what we're talking about. So... Um, Brian McLaren, on page 247 in this book, he says, You've heard it said, God is the one who was, who is, and is to come. The God who holds, who, who was, holds our past together. The God who is surrounds us now. And the God who is to come will be there beyond this life as we know it. And with that in mind, death could never mean leaving the presence of God. Because there's nowhere where we can escape from his presence at all. Psalm 139, you know, the the question there you read is, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I rise up to the heavens and I make my bed in the depths, you are always there. So what can we expect to see or to feel or to to encounter on the other side of life as we know it? I want to just share with you, and these are from our reading this week, I want to share with you just six observations of things that you might not think about that you will find and you will encounter as we move from this life. The first thing is, is we can expect to experience as never before the energy of God's presence, entering into goodness so good, riches so rich, holiness so holy, 
a mercy and a love so strong and true that our evil and pride and lust and greed and resentment and fear will just be melted away from us. That's how amazing the eternal presence of God will be. We can expect to know in that moment much more fully than we've ever known how great the forgiveness that God has given to us actually is. We will be able to feel what that is. We can expect to feel a sense of reunion. Yes, like the age-old question, will I recognize my dog? Will my third-grade teacher know who I am? You know, so without getting into all of that, because it's a whole other conversation— What I know that you will feel and that we will feel is a sense of connectedness and relatedness to all of humanity. So yes, you will know people and they will, your soul will know them and you will feel at ease, not just your great, 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 great grandparents, but also like your 32nd cousins times a thousand removed, whose names you've never known. There will be a sense of relatedness that we now feel you know, in your, the closest of relationships that you have on earth right now, you will have a sense and a feeling with all of humanity, any person that's ever lived. We can expect to feel differently about our sufferings because we will not see the short-term pain that so preoccupies us here on earth. What has been suffered or lost will feel weightless in compared to the substance that we gain in the presence of God. We can expect to feel this limitless sense of, ah, yes, now I see. All the mysterious things that swirl in our minds and our thoughts will come together and make sense. What we longed for, reached for, touched but couldn't grasp, and only knew in part will then be so clear in the eternal presence of God. We can expect to feel as if we're waking up from being half asleep. Waking into an explosion of pure and utter gratitude as we suddenly fully realize that what we've taken for granted for so long is is actually what we are hoping, we're placing our hope in, becomes that reality. It becomes real. When you pass from this life, don't be afraid. Because you won't pass into death. You will pass through death into the greater aliveness the banquet of God. Therefore, trust God, and the command for us now is to learn to live and to live well. So in this exchange um, between Krista Tippett and her doctor, Dr. Raymond, so I love Krista Tippett. Um, I know I already told you about a podcast, but if you are like at any point wanting to know about a really good podcast, her podcast, On Being, is extraordinary. And she is there's archives of years and years and years. She's got hundreds of episodes. She's probably one of the best interviewers that I've ever listened to. Like she has really good questions. They're very thought provoking. And she interviews like the whole gamut of people. So, so from faith circles to non-faith circles to, you know, research circles to, so everything. So in this interview that she had did, she did with her doctor, she was talking about the question of the dilemma of being a doctor and watching humans navigate living here on earth. So this is their conversation. And Dr. Raymond says this to her. We thought we could cure everything, but it turns out that we can only cure a small amount of human suffering. But the rest of humanity actually needs to be healed. And that's different. It's different. 
I think science defines its own way, but life is larger than science. Life is filled with mystery and courage and heroism and love. And all of these things can witness but not measure or even understand. But they make our lives valuable anyway. And so she goes on in this interview and she's talking about life and how we live to be healed and not to cure And she says, you know, the one thing that that humans often get hung up on is how do you then process evil? Because it's one thing to learn to live well, but it's another thing to go through life and be able to observe the darkness and the evil that, that we know to be true, right? And this is what she says. But, you know, the issue isn't to eradicate evil, because I'm not sure that evil can be ever eradicated while we are here on this earth. Because it's part of the human condition as we know it. But the issue is to learn to commit yourself to what is important and to live well. And so when I read something like that, I hear that through the filter of living well for God. Because that's what's important to me. So at the end of the day, it's important for my kids to know that I'm trying to model God's love to them. And forgiveness and guidance and compassion and mercy. Because then... My hope is that they will learn to live that way and to teach others to do the same. Learning to do something that you love and doing it well in the filter of the kingdom of God. Total healing and wholeness can only come fully when we pass through this life into the eternal presence of God. But as our days are numbered during this time, we are meant to live illuminating God through our love, forgiveness, service, and grace. So I kind of want to give you guys some practical tips on living. Um, One of the things that I think is really hard to hear a message like this and be like, yeah, I get it. Jody says we should live well, but what are we supposed to do? Like, how do we walk out these doors? That doesn't mean anything to me because my kids are going to be fighting in the car or, you know, my Spouse forgot to take out the garbage. I'm going to be mad when I get home. Whatever it is. You're all going to face life when you leave these doors. So I want to give you guys just a few things that you can maybe take with you. So um, if you're note-taking people, like I'm a note person. Someday when I do pass away, um, I might pay one of you to like turn all these journals into like a million-dollar book that will pay for the Grove forever. Um, So my favorite journal in the world is this left-handed journal because I'm a lefty. So it starts in the right direction for me. But um. I was looking through this. Um, at, sometimes I just like to look at vintage Jody, like see what I used to think about. And um, it, it's kind of funny sometimes. But I found this list from 2014 on how to live well. And I thought it would be interesting to read you guys today because I feel like it fits to exactly what we're talking about. And if any of you knew me in January of 2014, there was a lot happening in my life. Um, Cannon had a really severe accident in that year. And I was like two weeks away from delivering Roby. So it was, a, it was kind of a big deal in my life. But I wrote this list and it says, I wish I would have um, in, year, in the year 2013. And so goals for 2014. And I'm going to share them with you. The first one is, is to review where you are. And I don't know if I was just really into alliteration list at this point, but they're all R's and that's not really my style. But anyway, you teachers will appreciate that. So the first one is to review. So taking an inventory of who you actually are. Like, 
What is the last time you maybe sat down and took a thought about who in the world am I? And what am I trying to live for? Sometimes we need to look back to be able to move forward. And sometimes if we don't actually take inventory and really challenge ourselves to evaluate where we are in life, it's extremely hard to make room for new growth and new possibilities. So what's working and what's not working? And where does God need to help reshape your heart? Where do you need to open so that he can speak to you more fully? I think that we are, our tendency is to get busy and to ignore, ignore these parts of the journey. And sometimes there's parts of your journey that have brought you here for a reason. And there are parts that God really wants us to kind of soak in and to remember. So take the moment to do that. Review. Don't shy away from the pains and the joys that have brought you thus far in your world. The second R um, in learning to live well. Now, again, this is not a professional list. Like, this is literally from my journal. So I'm not, you can take it for what it's worth. But I feel like it it has helped me. Uh, The second one is to reconnect. Um, I often find in conversations that I have with people is that most all of us are waiting for someone to call. Like we are, we're kind of confused as to why people aren't calling us or why we don't feel connected. And what I would say to that is that sometimes you guys know this well, is sometimes we need to be the people that call. Sometimes it's, it's just that the matter of picking up the phone, which is a lost art because of texting and social media and all of that, but just hearing someone's voice on the other end to say, how are you? Are you well? I'm thinking about you. Sometimes reconnecting is thinking of the people in your life that you're watching and you're like, how, how is that person so happy? <laughs> what are they doing that's different? Or how is that person seems so well? Like, is there something that, that they're doing that I, I'm attracted to that I want to try? Or I notice that this person is so positive or, or, or whatever it might be. Studies have shown that you begin to emulate the seven people that you spend the most time with. So think of the seven people in your world that you literally have the most time around. And what kind of influence are they leaving in your, uh, in your life? And maybe it's not the best answer. And so maybe you need a new group of people. So reconnect. Finding people that you can connect with. And maybe being the person who takes the first step. Okay, so reviewing. Reconnecting. Repenting. I think that is kind of this word that we hush hush and we don't talk about a lot in church. But repentance is simply the process of learning to move yourself in a new direction. And being able to say to God... I'm sorry, and I need your help to move in a different direction. And we need to make that a practice of something that we do on a regular basis, not just every so often, but redirecting a course correction. This is something that can benefit in the way that you live your life. The fourth one is to release. So letting go of things that are not positive is a very challenging thing to do. But if it is not a practice or a habit or something that you put time into, you will literally always be heaping on and hanging on to the things that are not benefiting you and that are not benefiting the people in your world. So whether it's bitterness or anger or unforgiveness or resentment or pride 
whatever. We all can pick something from the mix, but there's things that we do and there are habits that we have in our worlds that aren't suiting us, you know? I mean, if, if you're the kind of person that somebody would maybe describe you as not happy or not pleasant to be around, there's a reason. There's something about our lives and how we live that the habit of releasing has become something that we don't feel like we're responsible to do, that we don't have to do it. But I would challenge you to say that, yeah, who else is going to let go of it for you? No one. Taking that on, surrendering the worries, the anxieties, the shame, the anger, things that you need to let go of each day and receiving those mercies from him. And the last thing is on our list of ours is receiving. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to take someone else's hand that's offering to serve you, to help you, to love you, to assist you, because we feel like we can do it all on our own. Or we feel like we can't, surely can't ask for anybody to help. God's goodness and love is surrounding us, and he is wanting to be able to gift it to us so that we can receive it. So don't, don't have so much pride that you can't accept someone's offer to reach out a hand to you. Be able to receive it. And I feel like that um, when you learn to receive from others, you also learn how to give well because you know the benefit of being able to receive love on that end. So review, reconnect, repent, release, and receive. And again, that was just a list from my journal. But I felt like the reason I wrote it back then is the same reason I would tell it to you today. There's something about how we live in our time here on earth There's a focus and a refocus and kind of this ability to understand that we aren't fully yet at home in our physical bodies, but we live well so that we can point people in the direction of God so that he might be illuminated through the ways that we live, the words that we use, the kindness that we extend to others. From a book called The Irony of American History, and we're going to wrap up with this and I'm going to show you guys a video. Um, This is kind of a, an interesting quote, and this is by Reinhold Niebuhr. Matt probably knows how to pronounce that. I do not know how to pronounce that, but this is a cool book. Um, I thought this quote was a good way to wrap up with you today. He writes, nothing is worth doing, and nothing that is worth doing can actually be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in, the, in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, could be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. No virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or our foe as it is from our own standpoint. And therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness. So we do our best to live. But in the end, we're left with both arms and minds full of all of this mystery. And this is exactly where we must end. Together, as we continue to let the Spirit of God speak into how we live in the here and now. And yet we accept that our hope is largely placed in a huge area of all the unknown. It's the paradox of humanity and learning to follow God and learning to live well in the days that we've been given. I want to show you guys um, a quick video and I hope that it speaks to you and we'll come back together and wrap up our thoughts.
In Revelation chapter 7, we read the words, Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them into springs of living water. And God will wipe away every single tear from their eyes. In Revelation chapter 21. He was seated on the throne and he said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. So all these years ago, when I had that one-on-one time with Canon, which is those rare parenting moments that you cherish, I remember him saying those things to me because I felt like God needed to remind me and he needed to continue to remind me that everything you see has been placed here for us by God that we might learn to see him. It's in relationships with one another. It's in the beauty of this world, the skies, the skies, the stars, the clouds, the mountains. It's in the way that we love each other. It's the way that we forgive and the way that we're forgiven. It's the way that we serve one another and we stand by each other. It's the beautiful presence of God. I don't know if you caught at the beginning of that moving into the neighborhood Surrounding us always so that we are able to learn to see him and then take that, what we see, and live well. So I would invite you guys to stand with me. um, And we are going to kind of seal our time, seal our thoughts with prayer today. And I appreciate each one of you. um, Even though I don't know all of you personally, I know... I knew many of the relationships that I have with, with people here have been God revealing that people that I've met and encountered over this, um, believe it or not, we've been here for 12 years. Ah, it's crazy. But over 12 years, I feel like that God has specifically given me people as gifts. And I feel like those gifts have been able to propel me to keep living well. And I feel like I'm very grateful to say thank you. And I feel like you guys could probably say that to each other too. So let us pray together and and go and live well. God, thank you for, again, our time and our space and our friends and family that we can gather together with, that we can experience love and we can give love, that giving and receiving is what keeps us alive. It's what keeps us moving. And I pray that um, as we go and and you know, head out into the world this afternoon, move into our weeks, move with our families and work and all the things that we have at our fingertips. Let us not forget to look for ways to see you. I pray that we would see you in the eyes of one another, in the eyes of the stranger, in the eyes of the ones in need. I pray that we would see you in the eyes of the outcasts and the ones that are marginalized in this world. I pray that we would see you in opportunities to serve and to love, that we would see our days that we've been given as the gifts that they are so that we would be able to learn how to live and to show and shine who you are, illuminating your love and your presence, your grace and forgiveness to one another. 
Thank you for this family that you've given me in this room. And I pray that you would bless them um, at the level and, and exceeding even that mo- the, the ways that I've been blessed. I pray that you would bless them. And we thank you um, so much that you've given us this challenge. And I pray that we would take it to heart and we would uh, live in the way that you've asked us to. And we pray these things in your name, God. Amen. So thank you for being with us this morning. Um, Hope to see you at Deep Creek, some of you. And if not, uh, maybe pub theology tomorrow at 7. Backpack stuff can be turned in uh, next week or anytime this week, drop it off at the office. So thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.